Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about the coming kingdom. Due to the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, the kingdom of God was present, but yet to come in its ultimate fulfillment. The prophets are flooded with the future theocratic kingdom to come and its final establishment. Without any doubt, it will be established by the returning of the king. And the king will have absolute rule. Without any doubt, Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In order to attract the largest audience possible, most television shows and theatrical movies go through dozens of writers and rewrites, crafting just the right screenplay. Well, Pastor Xavier reminds us there's one script that will never be changed because it's perfect in its original treatment, and that's the Word of God. Today, he takes us back to the book of Revelation and helps unfold God's plan for the last days. The message is entitled, The Coming of the Kingdom of God. And we're going to use selected scriptures. The kingdom of God is a topic that is found throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, The culmination regarding the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of Jesus here on earth for a thousand years, as the book of Revelation clearly states, and so do the law and the prophets. The Jews saw the kingdom of God in two ages, the present age and the age to come. And for that reason, had a very difficult time accepting the ministry of Jesus Christ. They saw the present age as corrupt and fallen. The age to come, when the Messiah would come, destroy the empires of the world and set up the kingdom. There are so many different types of interpretations regarding the nature and the purpose of the kingdom that if you would read all the commentators and all the different uh, interpretations, you would be thoroughly confused by the time you were done. So it's always best to go to the scriptures to see what the scriptures say because um, men confuse things more than make them clear. So we want to stick to the scriptures. You have a combination of the kingdom of God just being spiritual, others just being physical. Um, You have a distortion of the kingdom. Um, Maybe some of you have heard of kingdom theology. This became a very popular thing in the last 15, 20 years down in South America, Central America, to try to uh, uh, get people to to fight their wars through liberation theology. God wants you to be free and everything else. Perversion, corruption, uh, all kinds of things go on in the name of God. And yet the kingdom is promised from Genesis to Revelation as we have seen. So what we want to do is look to the scriptures and see what the Bible says about the kingdom of God, uh, which is a literal thousand-year reign called the millennial kingdom. And we want to do it from three vantage points. We want to look at the Old Testament perspective, the New Testament perspective, and then we want to finish up with the present age perspective, where we're at. So let's begin with the Old Testament perspective. The kingdom is presented as eternal throughout the Old Testament. Though it is present now, it is presented as eternal. And there is a temporal aspect at the same time. Though it's eternal in its ultimate form, it is temporal right now and it's running a linear time as the time domain of man began in the beginning of time. We have a day, we have a week, we have a month, we have a year, a decade, so on and so forth, centuries. God is eternal, and he is the one who rules at all times supremely and absolutely as the ruler, sometimes directly in authority, sometimes indirectly, as we'll see, and his rule is from eternity to eternity. Regardless of what's going on, God's on the throne, and he's not biting his nails. 
within the eternal nature of the kingdom, we see the temporal kingdom of man. And we see God also, who is sovereign, at times indirectly as sovereign, using man. He's the one that's directing the course of history. Uh, in fact, if you hyphenate history, it's his story. Uh, it's all about him. Now, the kingdom of God then is also universal and local at times, having a definite historical beginning, the beginning of time, and with an ongoing progress in the process that the temporal will terminate in the eternal. There will come a time when what we know as we know it in the time domain of man will come to an end. The kingdom of God in the Bible refers to the authority and the power, as you know, in view of the existence, the character, and the position of a king. And this will also be true in the New Testament as we see. The kingdom of God is timeless in nature. Listen to Psalm 92 too. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. Always has been. He's eternal. Um, Jeremiah 10.10. 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. We've seen this clearly as we're going through the book of Revelation, verse by verse. The kingdom of God is universal. Listen to Psalm 95.3. He says, For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods, small g, because there are no gods at all. Psalm 113.4, the Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. He is the one who directs history. Listen to Isaiah 10.5, Assyria is called by God the rod of his anger. God used Assyria to chasten Israel. Cyrus is called by God my shepherd, and my anointed, Isaiah 44, 28 and 45, 1. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, is called by God, my servant, Jeremiah 25, 9. Now, sometimes these kings were aware of it. Sometimes they were not. The kingdom of God involves the miraculous, as you know. God's direct intervention. God intervened, and he caused it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and he destroyed the entire world in Genesis. Many people don't want to believe that, but how do you explain sedimentary strata and, and, and sea life in the top of the highest mountains of the world? You see, you think somebody grabbed a pocket full of that stuff and climbed up there and planted it? Interesting. God multiplies the signs and wonders, even as he did with the plagues in Egypt in Exodus 5 through 11. And we can go on and on, the healing of the blind, the lame, and so many different things, the stopping of the sun. The kingdom is presented as a theocracy or theocratic. Theocratic is defined as the following, as a government of the state by the immediate direction of God, such as Yahweh required over or reigned over Israel, just like an earthly king would reign over the people. A theocracy, he's the one that rules. He has a people, they look to him, he gives the direction. Israel was a theocracy ruled by God through divinely chosen men, as you know, as God spoke to them, and they obeyed him. The evidence of the theocratic rule is a manifestation of Yahweh's will, his direction, his sovereign rule. 
And this is clearly seen from Genesis all the way to Revelation. One day everything will be put under his feet and it will not be as we know it now. And Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. In the eternal state, everything will be different altogether. We get a very small glimpse of that in chapter 21 and 22. Uh, we'll see when we get there. The theocratic kingdom started in the Garden of Eden, as you know. In Genesis 1:26, God delegated to Adam the authority to rule over the earth over the animal kingdom, under the supervision and dependency of God. God was still to be the one ruling over Adam. All the blessings of the kingdom were Adam's, but the ideal of eternal life was not realized because of disobedience. It was forfeited. Adam rebelling against the sovereign rule of God, his kingdom, if you will, resulted in the setting up of another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. It's the kingdom of darkness. Therefore, God announced the coming of his son, the last Adam, as the seed of the woman who would come in perfect obedience to reestablish the authority of God and to fulfill the program of the kingdom as the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. The theocratic kingdom was carried on then by the godly seed, Adam, Seth, so on and so forth. There was a godly line and an ungodly line all the way from Genesis on. The next theocratic kingdom is under the human government. After the flood, as you know, Noah got off the boat in Genesis 9, 1 through 7, and the kingdom would be through human rulers beginning with Noah. Now the fear of man was in the animals. Everything had changed. Capital punishment was established. When a man would kill a man, he would have to be put to death because he was made in the image of God. And it would pollute the land. That's the first thing God stated when Noah got off the boat. The kingdom of God was rejected and rebelled against by Nimrod, as you know. Under the kingdom of Babel or Babylon. Same thing. We see the beginning in Genesis. We're in the book of Revelation. We see the end. Seven, Revelation 17 18. Religious and commercial Babylon. The kingdom of the Antichrist. Nimrod took men away from God, Genesis 10, 9 through 10 says. Then we see the theocratic kingdom under the patriarchs. You have Abraham who was chosen by God to establish the purposes of God upon the earth. Through him, all mankind would be blessed, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You see, the Gentiles were always included in God's plan. The Gentiles were not plan B if plan A failed, <laughs> they were always included. Isaac, the son of promise, was second, on which the kingdom would continue through. Genesis 17, 21, and Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 28. Not Ishmael, but Isaac. Then you have Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel as he wrestled with God and he did not prevail. And his name means governed by God. And on and on through the law, we are reminded of the Messiah that's coming. It's coming. He's going to come. The kingdom's going to come over and over and over again. There was a theocratic kingdom under the judges, as you know. The period was a time of spiritual degeneracy. Characterized by the phrase, in those days, every man was doing that which was right in their own eyes because there was no king on the throne of Israel in the book of Judges. And every time they would get in trouble, they would call upon God, and God would be faithful to deliver them through a judge. 
But then they would get wrapped up in sin again and go back into bondage over and over, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The final rejection of the theocratic kingdom came when they wanted to elect a king like all the other nations in 1 Samuel 8. They elected Saul. They got tired of God being their king. They wanted a man like all the other nations. Samuel was upset. He thought they were rejecting him in 1 Samuel 8, 7. And God corrected him. He said, Samuel, they're rejecting me. What are you getting uptight about? <laughs> Sometimes we take things personal. Listen, if they persecuted Jesus, what are they going to do to us? So we shouldn't take it personal. It's a persecution of Jesus Christ, his kingdom. The monarchical form of government, a king on the throne, had already been prophesied about by God because he knows the end from the beginning. Nothing catches him by surprise. I guarantee you that God has never sat on the throne and said, oh, I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> the king was to be Yahweh's substitute. His anointed is the phrase throughout the scriptures and Chronicles and Kings and Samuel all throughout. Saul was chosen first and then he was in a position where he was to obey, but yet he rejected God by not obeying him. He thought himself more than God. He thought himself to presume upon positions and authority they didn't have. And he offered sacrifice. He made decisions on his own. And he started to use the authority and the position that God gave him for himself in building his own kingdom. That is always the danger of every man that God calls. That it ceases to be the kingdom of God and it becomes his kingdom. That is the danger always. God identifies his kingdom with David's kingdom. The throne of David is the kingdom of David throughout the scriptures over and over again. The king was called the Lord's anointed. The prophets identified the kingdom of God with the Davidic throne in the kingdom of God. Theocratic rule throughout the prophets. Then came the theocratic kingdom under the prophets. Now the prophets, they were divinely appointed men called by God to call the nation back to God. This is when the kings and the priests had become corrupted. And so God would raise up prophets to call the nation back to God. Now, the authority to their message was the direct word of God by his spirit. So many times it is addressed as thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah suffered much for being God's faithful prophet. They accused him of, of being a traitor and treason and, and bringing dissension. And, and they, they threw him in jail. They beat him, as you know, as we studied his book. Ezekiel reveals the departure of God's Shekinah glory from the temple, marking the beginning of the time of the Gentiles that began with Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, which will continue to the feet of ten toes of iron and clay, the ten-nation confederacy, of the Antichrist and will cease at the end of the seven-year tribulation. I was just watching on TV just yesterday. There's 10 more nations that just joined the common market. <laughs> so they're up there now, 20-some. But the final one will be 10 nations. You get that Ezekiel 8, 9, 10, and 11 that tells you about the glory departing from the temple. The prophets are flooded with the future theocratic kingdom to come and its final establishment without any doubt Isaiah 2 Jeremiah 23 Ezekiel 20 and many many other passages that we've given you before it will be established listen to Nebuchadnezzar 
After he regained his sanity after uh, a number of seasons, as he lived as an animal because he rejected God's prophecy of the kingdom. Listen to him. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? That's good. I expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. <laughs> and many of the Old Testament people who weren't people of God, but God dealt with them and they believed in him. Yet we see the kingdom of God challenged by Satan today. Isaiah provides the five I wills of Lucifer, as you know, as he rebelled against God and threatened that he would exalt himself above God in his throne. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. I always remember those two. Isaiah 14, double it, 28, and that's Ezekiel. The two important passages of his rebellion and his threats. His threats mean nothing. He's not God. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-present. He's not all-knowing. He's only a created cherub of the highest order of angelic forms. But he will not conquer or win over the kingdom of God. Through the fall of Adam, as you know, and the deception of Eve and uh, the transgression of Adam, uh, the kingdom of Satan is now in opposition to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of light. The kingdom of Satan is the kingdom of darkness. We are in a war for Ephesians 6.11. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and dominions of darkness in high places. There's a warfare every day. So we have to be filled with the power of God and put on the whole armor of God. It's a warfare. Once you're born again, you are born into warfare. You don't have any choice. When you were in the world, there was no warfare. You just gave in to whatever. You did what you wanted. Now as a child of God, there is warfare. There is resistance. Now you have to be filled with God's word, with the spirit, put on the mind of Christ, and do good warfare. It's a winnable warfare because he's greater than he was in the world. Jesus never challenged Satan when he said, if you bow down to me, I will give you all these kingdoms in Matthew 4, 8 and 9. Because he is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. 2. Yet you have two kingdoms side by side at the same time. The kingdom of God will be established. Listen to Isaiah the prophet um, in chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 4. He says, The word of Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Only then will there be no war. What's going on in Iraq is not going to stop the wars. When we get done there, we'll be somewhere else. <laughs> until the Lord comes back, wars will cease. Not until then. The king will be Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14 is very clear about that. God with us. The kingdom will be in Jerusalem. Worldwide, he will reign from Jerusalem. Psalm 2, 8. Isaiah 11, 9. 
The kingdom will be established by the returning of the king. Psalm 50, 3 through 5, Zechariah chapter 2, Revelation 19. He comes back on a white horse. The king will be literal. The kingdom will be spiritual. And the king will have absolute rule in a material world. Because the millennial kingdom, we're glorified with Christ as he is reigning with him as his bride. And he redoes the earth. That's not the new heaven and the new earth. It's just a renewing of the earth. And the earth here for a thousand years will be like paradise before the fall. So it'll be a spiritual and literal reign. We will be glorified, but there will be people living upon the earth, those that didn't take the mark of the beast that will occupy the kingdom age. Those that did accept the mark of the beast, they're damned. They have no hope, and they do not go into the kingdom. And we'll see this a little more as we move towards the end of the book of Revelation. We'll do a message there on the eternal aspect in the kingdom. Uh, a little more focus on that. Now, this is the kingdom of God from the Old Testament perspective. If that's all we had, we know the kingdom's going to come. We know that it's real. We know that God will bring the kingdom and establish it. But we don't have only the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. From the New Testament perspective, the kingdom of God is presented the same way as the Old Testament, a theocracy at the first advent or coming of Christ. Jesus Christ offered a theocracy as he announced the kingdom of God. And the Jews were waiting for the kingdom. The mindset of the Jew. Jesus uses the term knowing that the Jews would understand the term. The word for kingdom in the New Testament in the Greek is basilia, referring to the royal power, the kingship, and dominion. The word appears 162 times in the New Testament. Matthew uses it more than anybody else because he's writing to the Jew. He uses it 44 times. He presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. The key phrase in Matthew is, this was done in fulfillment of, and he gives an Old Testament passage. The Jews understood the term of the kingdom of God because they were anticipating the kingdom. The Jews were expecting a literal restoration unto them and Jesus going, if, they, if he truly was a Messiah, that he would destroy Rome and set up the kingdom. That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for the Messiah to come, destroy Rome, and set up the kingdom, the age to come. Luke tells us, now as they heard these things, they spoke another parable, or he spoke another parable of Jesus, because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Luke 19, 11. They were all set. They wanted to reign. So after the resurrection, Jesus spoke for 40 days with his apostles about things pertaining to the kingdom. Acts 1, 3, and 6 tells us. At which time they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still at it. Jesus said, listen, don't worry about that. Just go to Jerusalem, kick back until you be filled with the Spirit of God. <laughs> the Jewish mind, they didn't have any room for the church age. They were waiting for the kingdom. Due to the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, the kingdom of God was present, but yet to come in its ultimate fulfillment. So when you think of the kingdom present and the kingdom yet to come, think of an eclipse. The kingdom present and yet to come. 
Jesus came in the first coming. You have two circles. They meet. He came. And since he came, it's traveling towards an eclipse. And the kingdom is getting closer, 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 till all of a sudden he comes back and he sets up the kingdom. So the kingdom's present, but is yet to come. You and I are in the kingdom. We experience the power of the kingdom. We hear the voice of the king who runs the kingdom. We are looking for the kingdom to reign with him. And so it's present even now in our lives and in the world. Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the important correlation between the church and the kingdom of God. Now you can request a copy of today's encouraging study from Revelation called The Coming of the Kingdom of God. It's available for just $4 on CD. And be sure and share this message with someone in your church or Bible study. Now the title to ask for once again is The Coming of the Kingdom of God. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And remember, it's important that you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, next time we're together, Pastor Xavier Reese talks about how the Messiah is revealed to the Jews. That's right here on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 